Alright, welcome to Seishura. I am Elaine. And I am Scoot Magoo. For some reason I had to think about my name. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's going to be that type of day. Uh, Scott, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> hey, but no, no worries. We have... I, uh... I know. We have a special episode and I have a surprise for you. In that, uh, I'm actually prepared for once. <laughs> hey, look at you. Look I at know. That. That's I'm so fun. proud of me. <laughs> uh, Anyway, yeah, so. I uh, I actually I took more notes than I usually did just because while listening to these releases, yeah. I had uh, quite a bit of time to take notes, given how yeah. long <laughs> how long most of them were. Some of them are a little are a little long. Um, so we uh, this is a normal uh, segment that we like to do here called uh, you know just sort of like a genre exploration, uh, where Scott and I just kind of sit down uh, on our own in our own time throughout the week and just listen to a handful of albums in a prescribed genre and um i think i think this is the first time because i think we've done genres before where you have some background but i'm not as familiar this might be the first time where it's reversed where you know i, I, I i'm pretty familiar with ambient music um, it's it's not one of your your favorites you know i would consider ambient a genre i've, I've enjoyed I, for a while I, I don't know about that but like um i'm trying to remember there's a global you know that global communication album that that's just like it. It the letter the title is is the length of the entire album. Um, maybe I maybe I if it's, I saw it's like the... fifty six twelve or something like that. Um, I I got into that a long time ago. Uh, the, the, the I think it's more like, um, uh, I I I guess I'm not as well versed in ambient as you probably are. Is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, but I've definitely true. dabbled in my own way. Through it, it's just sometimes what I listen to doesn't always like. I think it's just be, because, um, oh, it, I mean, just to get out of the way, we're, we're doing ambient this week, yeah. But yeah, um, there you go. Uh, I, 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 I think ambient really because he, he, I, was, I was thinking about this too this week is that like ambient really isn't a genre in a way, it, it's a descriptor, yeah. Like it, it, it's you, you can have stuff of like almost any genre be ambient. It's just that, like, you know, it's it's talking about a specific mood type of mindset. Um, so, like, you know, I a lot of stuff that, you know, is on my shelf is, you know, stuff that I think I would consider ambient. Like, for for instance, um, ooh, like the Orb, like the first Orb album, mm-hmm. um, or, like, Future Sounds of London, like uh, their album Life Forms. Like, I would consider both of those ambient to a certain degree, but... You know, you play that next to like a Brian Eno album, and you like you, it's like, well, you know, yeah, um, exactly. <clears throat> you know, I, I think that I, I mean there are exceptions, especially when you go into the early, you know, the earliest days of quote unquote ambient music. But yeah, you know, there essentially it's just it's a form of electronic music because you're you're totally right. Any number, you know, by and large, most ambient albums, you, you could probably lump into the larger realm of electronic music. But you have you have metal albums that have long, extended periods of ambient. Obviously, yeah. any number of rock subgenres have. You, you have singer-songwriter albums uh, that, yeah. are, you know, can be ambient. Exactly. Um, it, it's, it's, it is very interesting how... Um, I mean, because this really has become a genre or a style of its own, but it, it's, it's really, oh, yeah. like, like you said... Uh, just pulling from a device that's used in any number of, of I mean, I, 
look, look at post-punk to a degree. You know, they're, um, the reliance of post-punk bands on reverb, you know, some bands when they take it to a full extreme technically are operating yeah, I can in, ambi- that. in ambient space. You know, maybe, maybe not to, to this extent, maybe not to, yeah. you know, an, an, an hour-long, you know, repeating yeah. refrain but I, I think it's worth pointing out I think within this conversation that ambient doesn't always mean calming yes very, uh, yeah. because there can be very disturbing ambient albums I mean like anything by the Hacks and Cloak I would mm-hmm. consider to a certain extent to be ambient but like you know like a dark ambient but you know like there are certain things like uh, like ritual ambient yep um, that you know don't necessarily conform to that idea of just like reverb to hell sine waves for an hour exactly so um, and, and there there are some even a, a couple examples from uh, one one example in particular from what i listened to for this episode where i mean the the music is beautiful but it's also unsettling and kind of creepy in a way just mm. the, the way that the sounds come together and i, I think oh, for yeah. me it, um it, re- it really breaks down to could i m- most accurately describe this as like a soundscape like not necessarily, you know, is it beautiful? Is it um, any any emotion here or there? Uh, it's it's more important that it, it feels like I'm just experiencing a wall of, of sound, uh, which which varies. I mean, you have people like Basinski who you know create hour plus long compositions that you just kind of let unravel before you. You have people like uh, Tim Hecker who, um, like, you know, my. My first introduction to ambient was the disintegration loops, but I really started to love it with Tim Hecker because I love the way that he created really compelling, interesting ambient music. But they were in short kind of snippets in relation yeah. to a lot of other. Like you, you could listen to it more like a traditional album, especially his album Virgins, uh, Rave Death, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen seventy two. Is it, is it- 1979 i thought it was yeah i thought it was 1972 yeah it's 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 a year in the 70s yeah (laughs) but yeah i mean it's interesting how this one just kind of musical device you could find any number of genres uh it just it can take so many different forms and it really has become a distinct style i think was it was it on an earlier episode of this podcast where we talked about kind of the phenomenon of um i forget what we called it but like Kind of like the, the equivalent of study beats, just like really, like what makes a quality ambient uh, album. I, I I think yeah, we there was uh, I think it was a Quietus article that uh, I thought we should read. Yeah, that was all about um, sort of this new wave of ambient music that like seems pretty devoid and like soulless in a way. Yeah, because, um, because the the concept behind ambient music is so simple to do, and it's so. I guess challenging or it, there's a fine line between just creating ambient music that okay it's a soundscape I don't really care about it and creating a refrain or some type of of pattern or composition that really sticks with you and you want to return to it over and over again yeah I I, I think like you know the if I remember right the uh, the writer referred to you know uh, Brian Eno's definition of ambient music which we constantly uh talk about on this podcast uh which is you know music that you can simultaneously pay attention to but also have in the background yep uh, and i think it i might be paraphrasing i'm not totally sure it's been a long time since i've read that article but uh, i think the guy uh, the person's um argument was that 
it was more like this was more music to ignore than music to pay attention to and or ignore. Uh, but I don't think we have any of that here. No, for for sure, yeah. and, and I think that's that's why you go on Bandcamp, type in the ambient tag, you know, kind of like you said. Um, it's the equivalent of people just looking for study beats on. Is is, is is that how you did yours? This no, time? no, that is. I I have uh, kind of gotten to a groove with with these explorations, which I've liked. Yeah. Is is I go, um, I think it, it's been nice that we've been able to pick genres that have been around for roughly five ish decades. So yeah. I go to for this one I did. I went to Rate Your Music, did the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s, and just scrolled. You know, I didn't do it exactly. You know, I didn't, you know, the first album I hadn't heard of that I hit, okay, I'm listening to that. I looked at kind of the top tier of albums and said, which one have I not heard and looks really interesting. And I'm really glad with the collection I picked. And I think they all not only showcase just how diverse ambient as a genre can be, but also, you know, the... You know, what you mentioned earlier, the fact that, you know, I found myself dipping in and out of these um, these albums as I listened to them, as I was doing other things. And there I... were some albums, man, that, that took me away. Like, I, there's one in particular that I almost wanted to make my album of the week. Like, I loved it that much. Oh, that's great to hear. Um, yeah. But I, I, so why don't we just get started on this? I do. You, how about you go first? We we'll talk about yours because I, I have like ten albums that I listen to. So do you want to switch back and forth? Do you want to just? Uh, yeah, we can switch back and forth. Yeah, that yeah. sounds fine. I mean, I, I, how how many do you have? I, I have five. So okay. maybe right. I do one, you do two, and then. All right. Yeah, that, that sounds Sweet. fine because I. But a couple of mine are like in series. It's weird. So. Okay. Um, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So my, my first one, uh, obviously, like I said, starting in the 70s, uh, this is 1971. Uh, I think, Elaine, you mentioned this in our la- mentioned this group in our last episode. I forget what the reference was, but it popped, you know, that name popped in my head as I was looking through. I saw this album listed. Popo music. Yes. Yeah. And I picked uh, Inden Garten Pharaohs. Of the Pharaohs. Yeah. Yes. And... Yeah. This was great. This might, um... Isn't that more of, like, a music cosmiche album? Or, like, uh, like Krautrocky? It, yeah, it's 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 kind of under the umbrella of tribal ambient. And I, I think there's a lot of ambient elements in it. It's kind of on the more soundscape edge of Krautrock. And there were a lot of passages that uh, spoke to where ambient music would, would go. You know, especially with my, my 80s pick. Um, mm. You know, very synthesizer driven, very much driven of what you can do with these, you know, warm synthetic um, tones. And obviously, on this album, they um, made heavy use of Moog. But what I liked about this is it showcased kind of what we were talking about earlier is that you can use any number of, you know, organic instrumentation and instruments that have been around forever to create ambient music. On, on you know, on this album, they used mm. the Fender Rhodes. Um, they have they listed a medieval cathedral organ that they use, and the per, the percussion throughout they said is African and Turkish you know traditional percu- percussion instruments. I, I didn't see what specifically those were, but it was great how they, they conjured these soundscapes. They conjured these um, you know engulfing musical experiences, and it wasn't totally synthetic. It wasn't. Uh, you know, it didn't feel like I was listening to an electronic album, even though, you know, obviously there was, there was a Moog at play, but it, I got 
what I've become accustomed to to hearing with contemporary ambient music, but it was obviously far removed from the standard devices that people use to, today. Mm. Um, and it, that that is interesting to have like a because uh, it, it, it's definitely I don't know like we think of I think we distinctly like off the off the dome like our our initial thought of ambient whenever somebody brings up the word is kind of warm and relaxing yeah um but yet so much ambient music is artificially produced yeah absolutely. you know I, 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 I as in terms of like you know we're, we're using synthesizers in electronic pr- music production yeah um absolutely so, and i think that um what's so interesting about tribal ambient as a genre um is the fact that it feels so physical and you know you're right that we have this idea of ambient music as this beautiful you know kind of airy genre but um this album in particular was a great example of how um meditative and almost ritualistic uh and tribal you Mm. can you know you can make i mean because you think about um kind of what was the the purpose of tribal music is to kind of create, you know, a recurring, you know, powerful, rep- repetitive um, musical motif that uh, creates a mood, you know, is, is meant yeah. to um, establish some kind of presence, some kind of larger presence. And obviously not not all ambient music, and I'm not saying Pablo Vo had this in mind of having this kind of larger religious experience but i i I think they were they yeah i could see that Um, like they were pretty esoteric and like kind of into that shit i think um in a way yeah and 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 i think that in different ways ambient music kind of or any music that presents a, a soundscape so to speak tries to to bring you to a you know a place like that a place where you're um, meditating on different themes or you're putting different imagery in your head. I mean, one of my favorite examples, you know, Basinski, it's just, like, I feel like I'm floating. I mean, that, that's a common feeling with a lot of ambient music I love. It's just, like, floating, whether it's, you know, over the ocean, in the ocean. Um, this felt a little bit more physical, a little bit more... Um, a little bit more like I was just kind of, you know, meditating in front of a large, you know, tribal bonfire. And mm. I, I like that imagery, and I was glad because this is a crowd rock band. That whenever we've talked about crowd rock, I've seen their, um, you know, their name pop up. So I was glad yeah. to finally dive in. I always see them in uh, Amon Duel Two. Yes. Um, and I yeah I've checked out neither, even though I really do want to check out Popolvo's uh, the soundtrack I was talking about last week for uh, Werner Herzog's like reinterpretation of Nosferatu. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That sounds really cool. But yeah. Um, no, that's an interesting pick. I actually have a, I have like more of like a ritual ambient album uh, coming up in a little bit, um, which is I think is a little bit different, but mm-hmm. there there are, there's there's some overlap I think. Um, so ba- basically, you you know, for you, <laughs> your criteria for for getting these um, for finding these listens are more like you go by by decade. Uh, whereas I, I just I tend to just go for the top uh, within certain genres, mm-hmm. so I did like sort of an overall search for ambient, and I started looking for dark stuff, and then some ritual ambient, and like just kind of I made a huge list, uh, and then had to divide that into stuff that you know I definitely needed to listen to, and then you know if if I had time I would listen to the other stuff because uh, there is some weird stuff that I found um, that I want to give a listen at some point, but it's just. 
did not it, it was not in the cards for this week so mm-hmm. uh but probably the the when i suggested this idea uh the one thing i wanted to listen to more than anything was uh the rest of brian eno's ambient series mm-hmm. because i've only listened to the first one uh i mean i own the first one um i enjoyed a lot but i've never really gone beyond that with it so um I, I listened to the other three, which technically one of them isn't really a Brian Eno album. It's produced by him, but we'll talk about that in a bit. This first one is uh, called the uh, it's Ambient 2, The Plateau of Mirror, and it's uh, basically just uh, Harold Budd, who's a pianist, and Brian Eno kind of collaborating on this. Um, you know, Eno would create like sort of like these soundscapes, and then Budd would, uh, you know, improvise on piano over it. Um, it was really... It, it was... I think with a lot of albums in this uh, list today, they were they're very slow burns. Mm-hmm. Like it, it takes a while for them to really kind of grow on you. But like by the end of of uh, the Plateau of Mirror, I was really really just struck by it because it's just so. Uh, there's it's simultaneously simultaneously like warm and cold, like that that piano lends like that organic warmth. But at the same time, the notes that are played sometimes feel um, almost alien mm-hmm. in a way, and so like it's it, it was just it was an interesting listen. Um, nice. Yeah. Did you want me to do another, or do you just want to keep going back and forth? Yeah, I think if you, if you have ten, you know, I have five. Yeah, I have 10. You know, that makes okay, sense. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, so I will talk about Ambient uh, Three after this one. So uh, because this is an album that I I really wanted to listen to just. So, you know, you could shut the hell up. No, or no, I'm sorry. No, I I meant more just uh, because we, we've talked about this uh, artist before. It's uh, Pop by uh, Gas. Ah, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, which um, this is a Wayback Machine because I think this was like, uh, this is when we were both writers on Heavy Blog. Yeah, um, it's been a that, while. Yeah, we, you, you had me listen to, uh, I think it was Pop 3, if I remember right um it's it's the more di- i think it's the danciest track on the yeah album. it's 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 it they yeah, it's pop three yeah uh, no 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 that no, no um no it's five four. or it, no, six i think it's either four or five because yeah. i've i've as my favorite tracks three or six on here uh but I, I anyway but when when we first listened when i first had to listen to that track i fucking hated it <laughs> yes, like you i did i mean like <laughs> because it was just like I, I'm not inherently against repetition, but repetition without change is artificial to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, and I just didn't like this, you know, six minute track that felt like the composer just copied and pasted like a, like a 10 second loop for six minutes. Like, it just pissed me off, frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I really wanted to give another try because Gas has like this really, really well known reputation mm-hmm. in ambient. Um, and like this is usually his most like acclaimed album, so I I tried to you know, tried to do it again. Um, I actually really enjoyed it uh, overall. So um, you know I I the, the production is always really interesting. Just how you know he's able to make this atmosphere with all these different samples mm-hmm. and uh, that are just like you know played with until they're completely unreadable you know and like you don't really know what they were um but i think my biggest con still is is just instrument but like just way too much repetition um in and i think i mean part of that is because i think this 
technically gas is like a minimal techno project mm -hmm. as well um so like there's definitely elements of that but like there was stuff that that just showed up that was like I, like it kept repeating and it just got annoying like um in on pop one and pop two there's like this sucking sound is that's the only way i can describe it 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 sounds like somebody uh like taking a breath from a scuba tank uh underwater hmm. um it, it's it's a cool sound it's a really cool sound but when you hear it you know 60 times <laughs> and it seems to drown out all the other cool sounds that are going on I, it, it gets annoying but that being said uh the times where he's able to sort of lay off on that and sort of create more of an atmosphere it was amazing like it's uh, pop three and pop six were probably my favorites uh as i previously said just because they kind of took this minimal approach to doing things that like you know it it had like this chord change that would repeat but it was stretched out enough that you were sort of waiting for that chord change mm -hmm. in a way uh and the atmosphere that it sort of created in the meantime was was just very uh intriguing so you know i i enjoyed it um i definitely want to check out some more of his stuff probably i think maybe konig's forced um however you say that um at some point in the future so yeah i think his you know i love pop uh i the his previous albums are in german so i also can't fully <laughs> remember which ones I've listened to um, and which ones I liked most. I think his two most recent ones have kind of lost It was well, Roush and Na Narcopop. Right? Yeah, and I think it's kind of what I've talked about before is that, you know, for me, ambient music, if it doesn't start with a compelling sample or rhythm and it doesn't bring it somewhere interesting, then it, it, it's just, it, it's hard to justify spending so much time on a track. And I feel like he's just kind of slightly lost that like mm. the, the tracks are start out strong but they're start out okay but just don't really cling on to it i think pop is great i i, I love the textures and samples he brings and i'm glad you you like it you know i, I definitely could see some of your, your reservations but he definitely is an ambient favorite of mine oh yeah no for, for good reason so yeah sweet uh, um yes well i I listened. I can't believe I listened to the entirety of this album, but just I was working late and that this just kept playing, and I figured uh, let's just listen to the whole thing. And that is um, Steve Roach, his 1984 album "Structures from Silence." Oh wow, um, that thing's like three hours long. The original is a is a tenable. I think it's like an hour ish, but the re-release. I forget when it was reissued, but yep, three hours and ten minutes. I listened yeah. to all of it once obviously because that's just insane um, i i had thought about listening to to this exact album but i started the three hours and i was like no <laughs> well it's just because steve roach is such a, a well-known uh, artist in this space i never listened oh, yeah. to him definitely and this i mean this was just gorgeous space ambient i mean it it, it was it was the easiest three-hour album I've ever listened to. I don't think I've ever listened to another three-hour album. <laughs> but um, okay, what, what about um, uh, the, the epic? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. But uh, yeah. this okay. I don't think I've listened to a a a less diverse three-hour album. I mean, yeah. you know, the once you start a track, it kind of progresses in a way 
that isn't super different, but it is still incredibly compelling. And just the beauty and the feeling of, of just floating and being lost in space, it, it, it just, it was gorgeous. I don't have a ton more to say just because each, each composition is relatively simple, but I think that's kind of the beauty of this album is the fact that um, it remains so beautiful and compelling and you want to keep listening to it, even though there isn't really a ton going on. And it reminded me a lot of um, Tangerine Dreams Zeit. Uh, oh, okay, from '72, yeah. and that was an album that. That's a um, great album. Fantano actually did a classic review on, and I just I thought the album cover was cool. I heard, you know, I knew, you know, referentially, the Tangerine Dream was an important band, and I checked it out, and it's like, man, this is awesome, and it, it was. Um, yeah, the birth of the cosmic Pleiades or the, the whatever the first track. I think it's it was it's liquid Pleiades, Pleiades. It might um, be they they have a bunch of weird titles. The, oh, the the opening track for Zeit is so amazing. Like like those first like five minutes are just like unlike anything else I've ever heard. Yeah, and, and I felt like this was almost a, a slightly, you know, just given the fact it came out, you know, over. A decade later it felt like a more updated version of what tangerine dream was doing and i was i was all about it it was an excellent that's an excellent journey i i I always thought that steve roach was more of a um like you know like well i don't know i always think of zeit as like a dark ambient album and i've just never thought of, of steve roach as a dark ambient type of producer i guess um i think I mean, he's classified as space ambient, and definitely that's you yeah. get that feeling um, yeah. throughout listening to this. So, um, it, I mean, what, what, I think what, what I mean is that like it, it, I never thought of Steve Roach as sounding like disturbing. I I guess or like unsettling. I think it's like I always think of him as calming. Yeah, but, and, and I think and one of the, one of the beauty beautiful parts of ambient music is you can kind of create some. Um, you can be a little creative with your descriptions. I f- it felt like I was floating in space and ultimately just going to you know float forever and trapped in in, in the cold, quiet void. But I was somehow okay. But it was with it. peaceful. Yeah, it was peaceful. Yeah. So I think that that's that's kind of the best way I'd put it. Is that I was like I feel like I'm just kind of floating in the dark ether of space, but at the same time, there's so many beautiful celestial um, celestial bodies to look at. Basically, so. uh, it's a. Have you have you seen the movie Gravity, right? Uh, no, I haven't, because that freaks me out. Oh yeah, because the, 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 that's a spoiler. That that's how George Clooney dies in uh, in Gravity. Yeah, I, I figured uh, since you know you hear he's in the movie, and then after a while you're like, wow, I haven't seen uh, George Clooney in any yeah, of his later scenes for a it, while, which is terrifying. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, to from, to just think about that, you're floating through space forever. Like yeah. you will die in space. Yeah, the first time I I saw the commercial where Sandra Bullock like her finger oh, yeah. slips and she she starts like twirling. I'm like, no, nope, yeah. no, thank nope. you. <laughs> That's okay. I, there's some. I know. I, I I always found that interesting. But yeah, um, I, I really do want to listen to Structure from Silence at some point. Uh, I just don't know when. I guess. Um, all right, so. Uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, so I did a Ambient 3, <laughs> Day of Radiance, which, uh, like I said, it's produced by Eno, but it's actually by an artist called, uh, Laraji, uh, who I'm not familiar with. Um, basically, this thing is just, uh, Hammer Dulcimer, uh, 
played just very well nice. uh, for pretty much an entire hour. Um, basically, like I, if I remember right, the first it's it's basically two pieces that are split up into multiple tracks. Um, and the first piece is is mostly just traditional hammered dulcimer. Um, and it, I again. It was a little bit of a slow burn at first because, like, you know, it, it was kind of cool to hear. And then it got annoying. And then it kind of got cool again, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it for some reason, it just did not, uh, you know, keep a positive vibe for me, The um, you know, for, like, the first half of it. But the uh, the second, like, piece on this meditation uh, was really, really nice. It was a, a lot more blurry and, like, reverb-soaked and just... You know, I, I'm pretty sure he was still using hammered dulcimer in that. Um, but it was just, it was utilized in such a different way. Like, because I, with the first piece, uh, it was mostly just like that, you know, traditional dulcimer beat that you're always trying to like, it's it's basically like 16th notes, mm-hmm. you know, but but it, it, it's, it's almost like, um, it's almost like a progressive electronic album. Like, like, a, like a, it, it, it's like Terry Riley's like rainbow and curved air. But it's played on hammered dulcimer, basically. Oh, interesting. Which is it, it's cool, but it can also get a little, you know, wearing at times. But uh, the last piece I really thought made it really interesting. Um, I, you know, I don't really know why they made this the third ambient album, uh, because since it really isn't like an Eno album, but uh, whatever. It, it was it was still interesting to listen to. Um, but yeah, so. After that is uh, my uh, tr- like my ritual ambient album that I listen to. It's uh, the artist is called SPK, and uh-huh. the uh, the title is Zamia Lemani Songs of Byzantine Flowers. Um, this was a weird ass listen. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of it. It sounds really weird. It was fucking weird, man. Like it, it, it but but it was really cool because like you know it has like this weird like occult esoteric type of vibe, which I love. Like I'm really interested in that type of stuff. Um, so like it, basically the best way I can put this thing, it, this thing sounded like Dead Can Dance if Dead Can Dance was like slowed down. Wow. Yeah, that sounds really cool. It is. It, it was really interesting. It took me a little while to really get into it because at first you're like, it almost feels like one of those, um, like producer, the, the, one of those like cinematic producer albums where like you know you, you have the person like just bringing in like monk chant samples for the hell of it in a way. Like it, it, it feels kind of um, like thrown together at first. Uh, but when, once you gradually like sort of sink into its depths, it, it really like grows on you. Uh, and you know, with the term ritual ambient, it's it's much more like again like esoteric. There's a lot of like you really think that like somebody's making a chalk circle, you know, and and like it's, it's about to do some summoning. You know, it, it's it, it's a cool it's a cool feeling. Um, you know, I I I enjoyed it. But man, it was it, it was probably the most bizarre listen on this entire thing. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say this, and I just looked it up. That that sounds really interesting, and I want to check that out. Oh yeah, I, sure. I highly recommend it. It's 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 very like you, you will not come out being like oh I was bored because like it, it, just in terms of like it being bizarre like 
Okay, I, I I don't I almost don't want to make this comparison because I I think this is actually a good album, but like this is almost like Cats twenty nineteen in a way, <laughs> like it, it, in that like you know you could you could hate the album, but like man, there's part of it that's so fucking weird that it just keeps you hooked the entire time. <laughs> that I, I get <laughs> get what you I mean, know I I, but I, I couldn't I couldn't think of a better example <laughs> cats is weird cat cats is way weird like weirder than this like album by like many strides so yeah on the one hand i if they just had like them dress up in costumes then it'd be like okay so what's the difference between seeing the, the movie and seeing but, a uh in a musical you're yeah, seeing the musical but on but, the other but, hand like once you saw the actual like digit you know digital yeah, whatever they did. Yeah. Oh well, god. So like the, the the CG costumes is like the frosting on the weird cake in a way for cats because like I mean I, we've talked about this before actually I, I'm pretty sure because like you know it's it's a musical about cats introducing themselves uh, and trying to decide who's gonna die I guess and yes, ascend and to heaven. Like, what? Yeah. Like how and is then, that the plot of this movie? Yeah. So like for, so first off weird idea for a musical um you know already but second you know it was it was called from a book of t.s Eliot poems and i'm just like what the fuck is culture <laughs> just like what even is this movie like, I, just, I just can't it's just it just shouldn't be it's 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 the afterbirth that that should get thrown in the garbage but it doesn't and it takes a life of its own <laughs> yeah it's just it's it's just like i yeah, <laughs> just like I can't even believe this is this is know, an idea someone had. It's one of those things. It's it, it's like, I but but again, like it, it's so bizarre in its existence that you can't help but like in a sense admire it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's just it's so it's such an incredibly unique disaster that you have to give it. Some yeah, credit. exactly. It's. I, it, 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 it's, it's like watching a car wreck, you know, like you, you, you don't want anybody to be hurt and you're sad that, you know, people are getting hurt, but at the same time, you can't look away. Exactly. So, exactly. okay. <laughs> Enough of that. On, on that happy note. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So jumping forward to <laughs> the nineties for my pick, uh, this was another, you know, um, Actually, honestly, I feel like all of these, it was pretty, it didn't take much time for me to pick out which album I want to talk about. And once I saw this, I was like, oh, I've wanted to talk about this guy, or rather, I wanted to listen to this guy forever. And it's uh, Biosphere and oh. 1997 album uh, Substrata. Which wait, is, wait, you, you know, you've never listened to Substrata before? Yeah, exactly. That's why it was a no-brainer. And Dude, this album wow. is excellent you know just yeah, oh yeah on, I, I i actually own uh substrata it's super good yeah i mean it, it's this is like the definition of unsettling but beautiful you know it's it felt you know almost cold in a way like almost like you know you're amid a very tragic situation or a tragic narrative unfolding in this gorgeous snowy landscape um mm. and it it really felt to me like a soundtrack without a film like it felt like a film score without any you know any well, scenes to go along with it which was interesting yeah because you go ahead because you know, i think i know what you're going to talk yeah, about because when this was reissued in 2001 uh, he produced um a quote-unquote soundtrack for a 1929 experimental soviet 
silent documentary, I copied that exactly, uh, called Man Without a Movie Camera. Yep. And it was interesting because it reminded me of Nicholas Jar, who in, I think it was, I think it was like 2017, it was a few years ago, he did something similar where he created, he called it an unofficial alternate soundtrack for a Soviet art film called The Color of Pomegranates from 1969. Um, mm. And, and he, he called the album Pomegranates, but it's an interesting idea to, because that's something that is often, uh, you know, especially vocalless electronic music, ambient music, you know, that's a, something, when it's very successful, you almost uh, start projecting imagery and you very much, you know, the idea of something being a film score without a film is a relatively common, something common I've seen described about this kind of music. And mm. it was interesting to see him take that a step further and actually compose a film score for a film, obviously, you know, decades removed. I mean, he, it, it just, it, it makes so much sense, but sense, but it, it's a very interesting thing to do. Um, and I really want to watch this with, the soundtrack now I, I didn't actually listen to the i only listened to the original substrata release not the uh um, mm. man with uh, a movie camera yeah yeah and i i want to see um i want to see how it, it stacks up because i feel like that's that must make for an interesting experience it's kind of like a it's a, it's a good addition so yeah it's kind of like a modern version of the whole you know listening to dark side of the moon and watching um Wizard of Oz, which I never, oh, yeah. I never really understood, just because the the timing of those two, you it, know, of the it, album it, and the it's, movie, it's very much a myth. Yeah, because um, I mean, I feel like it might be kind of cool, but at the same time, like the album's gonna end before the movie does, so it's it's not really a complete experience. But oh, I I, I guess there's a certain point where you're supposed to start watching it, uh, uh, or, or or like where you're supposed to put on dark side like it, it's not like they start immediately at the beginning for both of them oh okay um which i i, I guess just makes it even more uh invalid and kind of wishy-washy um in a way but i if you're interested in biosphere because he um he actually does a lot of field recordings as well oh, okay um, and i just the hill van they're called that it's called the hill varen beak recordings uh you put out them like two years ago uh, i really recommend listening to those because it's like it kind of takes that substrata like it, well it's it, it's more like pastoral almost and he uses uh field like recordings of like farmers like 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 basically pushing their cows out to graze for the day like it's huh. it, it's a it's a very like like very like scenic recording it's a very interesting thing to listen to um yeah so he's, he's he's done a lot of really interesting stuff yeah i mean just based um, on this release I, i'm super interested to dive into you know like i said someone that i was uh i felt like i needed to listen to for a while and this was the perfect opportunity so i i, mm. I couldn't really pick anyone else from the 90s yeah so for my next one um i don't really know if this could count as ambient or not. i'm counting it uh but this is uh ben frost is but yeah Ben Frost's first album called uh, Theory of Machines, uh, which I had never heard before. Um, and it was really interesting. It, it was, I, I have it written down as this, it's a super intriguing blend of ambient industrial slash noise music 
albeit with the demarcations between the two more pronounced than with other Frost releases. But by, by which I mean that, like, you know, when you listen to something like Aurora, you know, they it feels like he's managed to fuse industrial and ambient together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, in, in much more of a fluid way. Uh, whereas this, like, this album, Theory of Machines, kind of seemed to, like, vary between the two at certain times. But I that isn't to say that it was jarring because it worked out really well like there, there were some really interesting tracks in it like just uses of atmosphere uh that i really liked and i mean i ben, ben frost was like one of the first like electronic artists that I, I really got into um so it was just really cool to listen to the like his debut for the first time um and then uh finally ambient four uh which is being you know, a Eno's back. Guess who's back? Back again. It's Eno. <laughs> um, and uh, this is, I think he's working with Harold Budd again on this, if I remember right. He's worked with a couple different people. No, it could be Daniel Lenoy. I don't know. Um, but uh, this is Ambient 4 on land. Uh, and this is like an example of uh, what most people point to as like one of the first dark ambient albums. Um, it's very, it's very moody in its presentation um like it it always has like there's some really cool field recordings i I think they're field recordings sort of nestled in with uh some of the tracks but it 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 has this decidedly very just dark morose kind of atmosphere to it uh which was really interesting I, i i really enjoyed like every single album in the ambient series i thought they were all really cool um you know, I, I, I almost, I'm, I'm wondering whether he might just follow him up one day, uh, though I don't think so at this point, because it's been like, you know, like 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to listen to um, that series now, because I'm, I'm pretty sure if I can just roll back real quick, I'm pretty sure I own music for airports, um, and I think there'll be another one of his releases. Um, uh, yeah, I own Another Green World and Music for Airports, but yeah, I haven't it, really explored much more Eno, and I kind of want to now, because especially, just to go back a little bit, uh, I mean, all the, the projects you've described have been really, sounded really interesting, um, but just the idea of Dulcimer, especially, I mean, I mean that's that's an instrument I, I came to know with uh, Botanist, an experimental yeah. black metal project, and I'm curious to see what else he has in store. Yeah, well, so th- that that one's technically by um, Laraji, so it'll actually be under Apple Music under his name, okay. as opposed to Brian Eno, because uh, Eno only produced it. But I mean, it's still technically part of this ambient series. Why I don't understand, but yeah, really good. So nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So what have you got next, good sir? Yeah. So now we are on to. 2004 and unfortunately the last two releases that i listened to uh, i didn't like as much as the first three but i definitely think had some interesting um you know i had some interesting things to to talk about this Mm -hmm. i think is perhaps the most quote-unquote traditional ambient album like listening to this i was like this is pretty much what modern ambient music 
has to offer, and it is the 2004 album Venice by Fenez. Oh, Fenez. Yeah. 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 Uh, that that was a name that came up. Uh, I think it was for a release day roundup post last year. He came out with a new album. Yeah. And I saw it, and I was like, oh, like this looks kind of cool. I wonder, you know, who he is. And I saw that he's been around for a while. So, yeah, he's a really Christian Fenez. He's a real, or I think that's how you say his name. He's a pretty big name uh, in sort of like experimental ambient music. Yeah, um, and so I, I've never really understood why because I've yet to listen to a, to a project of his that's really grabbed me. But yeah, you know. and, and you know, listening to the, you know, so when I saw this album, I was like, okay, but you know, this is a no brainer. Wanted to listen to him for a while. Um, yeah, it just felt very. Very traditional, I guess, is the best word to use. It felt like there weren't a ton of surprises. Um, it was still, you know, it was very beautiful. Um, you know, I wrote down, it's it, this is like something I'd encounter, you know, in my, you know, Bandcamp daily searches. Like, this this sounds like a like a, a good, solid, ambient release that Bandcamp would be like, oh, like, if you want, like this, you know, the genre, check it out or whatever. They might do a, a short little spotlight on it, but... Um, it's still, I mean, it was still gorgeous. It was textured. It was, it was beautiful to listen to. And, uh, I don't usually highlight individual tracks, but the track transit towards the end of the album, it incorporated vocals and it really, really worked. I, I loved it. You know, obviously most ambient releases don't, you know, they're, yeah. they're instrumental, but it, the way that, the way that the vocals came through and the way that it still operated as an ambient track was was awesome and i think some of the instrumental choices at the end of the album had that effect as well there was some more organic instrumentation some more you know guitar based uh compositions it picked up a little bit towards the end but in general uh, it, it definitely was a bit more um i felt like the 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 decade upon decade experimentation i heard throughout this you know this process started to level out a little bit thankfully it picked back up in the 2010s which we'll get to but i thought this was a good release i, I think that it's always hard to, to know where to direct someone who wants to get into ambient music um, mm. I, I, because on the one hand i'm thinking okay maybe i'd recommend tim hecker because the songs are so bite-sized but like his his music can be pretty abrasive especially you know the album that got me into him yeah, Virgins is pretty abrasive. Yeah, um, but 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 Winter, um, ra- sorry, Rave Death, nineteen seventy two. Uh, I I think that that's a good entry point. Yeah, another one that I really like is uh, Quirk OS. It's uh, for those who have and also those who have not. Uh, that's one of my favorite modern ambient releases, and I feel like that kind of is the same deal where um, they're relatively short, digestible songs, but they bring that ambient vibe. He also has a great album called Colonial Patterns, which is cool. Um, yeah, but this kind of felt like an ambient album that maybe someone would encounter and it would interest them. It also had relatively short songs. It had those beautiful soundscapes. Um, it, was, it was still cool. You know, I'm glad I listened to it. Glad I finally, you know, crossed his name off my, my lazy list, as I call it. You know, artists that I want to check out forever. But uh, not my favorite, but still good. Still nice. good. Yeah, I, I, you know, he's always been an artist I've always wanted to sort of give another try. Like, I think I listened to his album Endless Summer a long time ago, and it was just, it was just fine, you know. Um, I think if, if people didn't think of all of his work as, like, you know, the work of God, in a way, because, like, I, I see it, comp- like, it's, it's very highly rated a lot of times, and I just have yet to see it. Um, so, 
Next up is uh, an artist that I've been meaning to check out for a long time that I finally did. finally listened to a couple albums of hers. Uh, it's Grouper. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, I, I don't really, again, I don't really know if that counts as ambient or not. I'm counting it as ambient because she definitely makes use of atmosphere. Uh, this particular album is, uh, was AIA, Alien Observer. Yep, that's a really celebrated one. Oh my god, Scott, I love this album so much. Yeah, it's a great album. Like, I was halfway through the first track, Moon is Sharp, and I was already looking up to buy it. Like, I was already looking on Discogs to, to, to see if I could buy it. Uh, and But by the end of it, I ended up, I ended up buying it uh, because they have a compilation that includes, I think, the first AI album and this one mm-hmm. uh, together. Uh, so I ended up buying that <laughs> because it was just, it, it, it just struck me that hard. Um, just, I think Moon is Sharp was just like, there's something about these washes of sound that she's able to create that were just so enrapturing. And just let, let, like all I could do was just sit there and listen to this thing. It, it was, it was amazing, and yeah. like, it, but it was also just so, like, very. It's very sad, like mm-hmm. very sad sounding album. Uh, like the 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 final track, I almost started crying in it uh, because it was just like it was just so. Uh, it was just yeah, just sad. Um, you know, it was just such a powerful album. So. I was so surprised by it because I remember trying to listen to uh, Grouper before and just didn't have, uh, she, her music just didn't have a whole lot of impact on me. Uh, but this time around, just fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I love Grouper. It was, I think in high school, I just randomly came across uh, her album Dragging a Dead a Deer, Deer Up a Hill. Hill. Yeah. And it was just, it was such a weird ominous looking album cover and it just was oh, this yeah. beautiful haunting you know, you know like you said just super morbid and, and just just sad just like really suffocating sadness but like you kind of you kind of like it just because it, it feels oh, yeah it feels very cathartic and i mean I, I love a number of her i prefer her albums that are a bit more folk oriented obviously that's a you know i, I like folk a lot more than than you do um yeah but I love, you know, Dragon Dead, Deer Up a Hill, The Man Who Died in His Boat, um, Ruins. Ruins is awesome. Um, but yeah, her, her straight-up ambient projects are are also great. And I'm really glad you, you liked it, because I've been a Grouper fan for a while. And yeah. I think that she's she's really interesting, you know, the way that she straddles the ambient and folk landscapes. And yeah, just does it, a really good job. Really them. interesting how she's like, you know, the singer, it's like she's more of a songwriter. Yeah. But but she uses she uses ambient music like ambience as a tool yeah uh, which is really cool um yeah. so my second pick here was um uh it's a sort of a collaboration between uh Pauline Oliveros, Stuart Dempster and uh the last name is I think it's Penai Penaiotwa or Penaiotis I think is uh, that that's how I'm going to say it uh it's called deep listening um uh, which I, I've heard of this before uh, because Paulina Oliveros, like near uh, sort of like the second half of her career, she uh, started really doing um, this thing called deep listening that that was kind of she described it as sort of like a uh, like sort of like, like a amalgamation of like 
ritual and like ambience and meditation or so, something like that you know just kind of artsy and conceptual mm-hmm. but it was all about trying to you know sit down and actually listen to things instead of just hearing them yeah uh, which sure. I, I i found really interesting i i don't really know that much about it so uh i guess don't at me um <laughs> and um but yeah this, so like there's a story with this and i i don't know if this is the exact recording of this incident or not but uh, there's the story that she uh, and a number of students, I think, or collaborators, went down into the cistern, uh, like this old cistern, and recorded there. And just the reverberations was just like something else, basically. And uh, I mean, I I think this was this recording, at least in the in the final track, you can kind of hear it uh, because it just I think I think they're just like tossing stuff, they're just throwing objects and just waiting for the reverberations. Uh, which was really cool, but huh. most of this album is just, I, it, I, I guess it's what you would call like, yeah, like sort, sort of what you're saying, like with like finesse is just like traditional ambient, I guess, where it's just like you, you've, you've got a lot of like droning instrumentation. So like here, I, I think there might be some accordion because Pauline Oliveros plays accordion. Um, but I, I heard a lot of what I think are uh, sort of like, uh, synthesizers like just like that early Moog sound, mm-hmm. you know, like um, just sort of atmospheric, you know, filtered uh, pads kind of. Um, it was it was just it, it, like I actually wrote down here. It's uh, it sort of, it's sort of like Stars of the Lid, if you will. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Which I, I have you given them a listen? I'm I'm assuming you have. Yes, and I own. Yeah. I don't own the one. Everyone. I can't reach it right now. Yeah, the, in, in the the refinement of their decline. Yeah, I, I own the, yeah. the. They have two: a yellow album and an orange album that are. Yeah, yeah. I have the orange one, which is this kind of the the second most acclaimed of their albums. But yeah, uh, they're, they're a really cool band. That, that, that's a band that has really. Their albums are really really long, and it's interesting because oh, yeah. they kind of straddle the line between having those. Um, you know those long songs that you just kind of envelop in, and the, a little bit shorter, more digestible songs. Um, mm. But I, I like them. Yeah. So it, it overall, though, the, this was a really I, I you know as much as it is more of like a traditional quote unquote ambient album, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was just like it, it it kind of scratched the itch just in a very nice way mm-hmm. uh, but really th- there wasn't an album here that i didn't like uh but i still have two more to talk about but uh let's let's go to you for your uh your final one yeah so this this one also was was a no-brainer um but i left it i felt very conflicted because i loved the album but the creative process i was very I don't know. I just had questions about. It. I just I was questioning my own interpretation of what was going on, and just you know, without any further ado, it's uh, the caretaker and his 2011 album, oh. "Empty Bliss Beyond This World." Yeah. Um, if you told me that he did the soundtrack for Bioshock, I honestly wouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> it is very much like Bioshock. Because if it would, it the entire album was kind of haunting, distant treatments of just kind of these low-key vintage ballroom lounge jazz kind of you know kind of samples and i i think this is is classified as quote-unquote turntable music i think that a lot of these are samples and it was beautiful it felt like you were 
walking through an abandoned house the entire album trying to find where the music was coming from and you just couldn't find it and it was a really cool experience where i where i ran into i don't say issues but like what i was thinking about is how if these are all samples essentially it was just whatever song he sampled played out except obscured a bit so yeah I, I just was kind of curious about like what am i being too like am i not not giving enough credit to the creative process or is this really See, as simple as it sounds i as someone who's listened to it before as well um it's i i actually have very similar feelings yeah Do, just because of the, like you know it's it's a case of like whether this is actually art or plagiarism almost yeah i mean uh, i mean I, I i don't know if i'd call it plagiarism because i, I feel like a, enough is being done to those samples that there's at least like if they played the original for you like you could you could tell the difference mm-hmm. um but at the same time but like it's sort of like um do you know the author uh jonathan saffron foer by any chance he, he's the person who did um uh uh, incredibly loud or incredibly close or whatever um extremely loud and incredibly close i don't know if you remember all, they, all that sounds familiar but i don't know if yeah it, it was it. they made into a movie with tom hanks um basically he is i mean probably the most pretentious author of the 21st century <laughs> uh by, by like a good amount but he um he made a book uh a couple years ago a while now where he basically just took the entire text of another already published book and just took certain letters away and certain words away to create a new story from that. And I always, that always smacked me as like, just like the laziest fucking thing <laughs> yeah, in a way. Absolutely. Um, That's crazy. I, I, I've grown to admire it a little bit just in terms of concept because like, you know, like William S. Burroughs does, you know, sort of a similar thing with his like cut up technique but at least he's using his own words that mm-hmm. he's cutting up or at least like he's cutting it up with something else like you know it, it, there's some amount of originality but like all this to say is yeah it, it's it's not an easy um debate i guess because i i tend to think it's it's just it's just those like it's just those vinyl sounds with just like a couple scratches on them yeah um, exactly and so like but, but but if you look at it as like a curated uh playlist almost you know it, it, like it, it kind of kind of makes it i don't want to say okay but it's it's sort of it makes it almost makes more sense in that way yeah and i think that's really where i ran into you know an inner conflict with it because i loved what i was hearing yeah like it wasn't you know you know obviously this is in a completely different stratosphere but when we talk about greta van fleet you know, you know, we we like what we're hearing, but it's like, okay, this is obviously being plagiarized. Yeah, or, or I, I mean, any... it, at least the the caretaker is actually putting some effort into what he's doing. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's one of those instances where I'm like, I, I don't like, I don't know if I should complain, but also I feel like, am I listening to something that had as much creative effort as the other albums I listened to for this episode? And, and it made me think of, um, like, there's a great beat. Um, I think the song is called Keep It Coochie. It's by Cakes Tequila. And it, there's a sample of a Duke Ellington song that... Yeah. Um, I actually, I, I found out it was a sample because we 
were studying Duke Ellington in my history of rock and roll class in college. You and took a history of rock and roll class? Yeah, and it was oh, it was a really lucky good, bastard. It was really cool. Um, but the, the professor played um, that song just, to, and I was like, "Hey, why don't like I know that song? How do I know it?" But that track in particular is a great example where it just starts out just by playing the song, but then it lifts mm. a specific part of the horn section and makes that the basis of the beat. And like that's just so creative and cool to me. I think that's where I ran into an issue with this album, you know, an Empty Bliss, because it just didn't feel like, other than, like you said, a few kind of treatments here or there, a few scratches, a few different, um, a few different effects that made you, you know, you know you were listening to a sample. It just felt like you were listening to a slightly different version of something that's been out for, you know, decades. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, to end on a positive note, it's great. You know, it's like a really, really nice, haunting interesting album uh that left me with some question marks but ultimately i would listen to this again i mean i love the entire it's a time weird ass album yeah the man. entire time i yeah. loved what i was hearing it just it made me and maybe that's a maybe that's a good thing it, it, it left me you know thinking like this gave me the most question marks and the most um you know the most post listen thoughts than in any of these albums you know they weren't entirely positive but it just it got me thinking so you know to, mm. to its credit there you go yeah i i it's like i i i can't say that empty empty bliss beyond this world is one of my favorite albums it, it's an interesting listen mm-hmm. but it's not something that i can really listen to uh all that often um i i, I mean part of it is just that like it reminds me and i, I think i've read this like description somewhere that like it, it reminds me a lot of like a old retirement home in a way, I can see, uh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, and and just that freaks me out. Um, retirement homes genuinely make me uncomfortable. So, um, just to have something that reminds me of that is is not that fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I can totally see that. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's it, you, you got to give him credit to some degree, I guess. Um, what that degree is is kind of you know up to. You, you know, up to the person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it's, it's an interesting listen. Um, so my final two albums, I did, um, first one was, uh, this is an album, actually, I've been meaning to listen to this for a very long time now. I almost wanted to buy it at one point, but I just never did. I, I don't think I was able to find it, but um, it's a collaboration between Brian Eno and uh, Robert Fripp from King Crimson. Yes. Called uh, No Pussy Footing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those who don't know, this is like sort of an example of what's called Frippertronics, I guess, where, uh, and I'm still trying to understand this concept, so I don't have it entirely down pat, but basically the idea was uh, Fripp would be playing guitar, he'd be improvising into a tape machine, and uh, it would have two different reels that were connected to each other, but you could stop one and stop the other. And so basically Eno would just stop them at certain points or let them loop at certain points. And so, you know, after a while you get this guitar, like, you know, it it ends up feedbacking onto itself basically and like sort of layering on top of itself. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it was an amazing listen. Like it is very, like it it sounds like out of this world in Mm -hmm. a way. Like it sounds like something from a different galaxy. Uh, But it is so it, it is just really interesting 
and um you know like there are parts that are droney and kind of like uh like like i don't really know if it counts again like this is really stretching the definition of ambient to its limits even though i this was i think this album actually came out before you know his first solo album so it's a very very early early ambient album if you really want to consider it that consider that but mm-hmm. um anyway yeah it was really interesting the it's basically just two pieces that were um you know divided into different tracks uh the second the second piece is called uh swastika girls which is um great little name i guess <laughs> uh but i it, it's actually a really interesting track like i, I would say do not let the name defer you the deter you from uh, listening to it because it might be the more interesting track out of the album um just because he uses like all these really short uh sort of bursts of guitar instead of playing like these long passages mm-hmm. and it creates it just creates a really interesting atmosphere so um yeah that was really good i i, I guess evening star which is like sort of the sequel to this album is supposedly the better album um I think it's like number nine or ten on Pitchfork's like top ambient albums of all time. Uh, but I did not listen to Evening Star, uh, even though I have it on you know on my list for later stuff. Um, and finally, um, uh, Grouper <laughs> Ruins. Uh, what, what were you gonna say? Oh, I thought I thought you were going to mention another artist, but yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, no, it's uh, Ruins by Grouper. So uh, I I know you you thought I was gonna do William Basinski right yeah and I was I was prepared for I don't know I, I was just interested in so what you thought. Th- th- there was there were a number of like I said at the beginning of this uh, there were a number of albums that I really wanted to listen to that I thought might be really cool such as um, Coil's uh, Time Machines mm-hmm. which is supposed to be like this binaural experience that's supposed to be influenced by like lsd and stuff mm-hmm. uh folk folk rob I, I think that's how you say the guy's name uh the album's called what which is a, apparently it's just an hour long of just a sine wave like a single sine wave being played but then it gets manipulated in very very small ways and it ends up being like this whole thing um like it was things like that and and so like basinski was sort of in that list because like it was just like it they were really long <laughs> like yes. so i i i just don't i you know i, I do want to listen to this integration loops at some point um but not today so that's fair but that being said uh ruins by grouper uh more of a folk kind of take as you mentioned mm-hmm. it's just her and piano um and I think, you know, that there's some, like, it, it almost has as field recordings in a way because you, you can hear stuff from the outside as well. You can I think you can hear crickets at one point. I think there's a truck beep, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I So I enjoyed this, but it was not as good as AI to me. Uh, like, it was still very, it was very beautiful. And, like, I, I like that minimalist kind of approach that you're just doing piano and vocals. Like it's something I, I I really like I I kind of like that idea, um, but I really like my favorite track in this was the final one, uh, Made of Air, because it was just basically just an ambient soundscape, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just you know like a song. Um, so you know it was it, it I think out of all of these, it was probably the, my least favorite out of all these albums, but 
that's i mean it's it, i still thought it was really interesting so yeah i mean I, I i love this album especially because for me it's so linked with how it was recorded um yeah it was just her a piano and a and a you know a portable four track recorder um you know in portugal and and you just you feel the the environment obviously i've never been to portugal but the just kind of the beauty and the 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 sea, mm. seaside feel of that um you know that area well it was just, it, it was definitely like albums like this and um i think it's like ambient four and uh, a couple other ones that really got me thinking about my own music and how i want to start incorporating things like that like more samples and like field recordings mm-hmm. so um you know that was an interesting thought uh yeah so that is that that is an hour of ambient exploration right there. Yeah. So we, we talked for the length of uh, the year average ambient album. So you're yes. welcome. Yeah, and it, it was it was not nearly as relaxing, sadly. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think our voices are pretty soothing. You, yours is because you, you you've got the deep very white voice, the the, the white the white berry voice, white, white berry white. Berry like white. So 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 you'd be berry black. Berry right? black. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if I want to start picking up that nickname, but I'll I'll, I'll take it for that. <laughs> I, I I swear I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you and Lauren something really nice for your wedding, and that that's the name I'm gonna put on it. <laughs> Barry Black, love it. Barry and Mister and Mrs. Black, <laughs> Mister oh, and Mrs. Barry man. Black. Um. <laughs> anyway, let, let, let's talk about albums of the week. <laughs> Scott, what, what's your album of the week? So you know, as we've talked about many times before. Um, the silver lining of an artist passing away is, you know, gives you an excuse, especially a, a prolific artist. Oh, and, and I, it, I think I know this one. Yeah, and, it, you know, an influential, you know, someone who's who's left a mark on music you Scott, haven't explored before. J- j- just tell me, what, which John Prine album did you listen to? So I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so John Prine passed away. Uh, he's someone, I saw his face and I saw... Um, you know, I saw him covered a lot around his 2018 album, The Tree of Forgiveness. I never listened mm. to him. And this, you know, coincidentally coincides with me getting more into country music. And obviously he took more of a, you know, a folk Americana, you know, in some cases, bluegrass take on country music. But, um, the first, you know, my first exposure to his music was actually Consequence of Sound did an Instagram live series uh, this past weekend with a bunch of contemporary folk adjacent artists. And, you know, being a huge Mountain Goats fan, I watched uh, John Darnielle do yeah. a cover of, um, um, why am I blanking on the name now? Uh, oh, Glory of True Love. And it was the first song off of his 2005 album, Fair and Square. And he did such a, a you know, a very John Zarniel-esque rendition of this song it was very, very, you know, it's kind of hard for him to remove you know, his very unique delivery and whatnot. But the song itself that he was performing was was beautiful and just really, it was fun, it was touching. And so I decided to listen to Fair and Square. And this is an excellent album. You know, I, I really want to dive more into Prime's music because I it really is... What I love about, you know, his music is it's just musically excellent country you know folk tinged uh country music americana you know it touches all the things you love about the, the genre but what i love so much about his lyrics especially is 
he doesn't try to be too deep. You know, he's clever in a way that, um, you know, as you listen to it, you know exactly what he's saying and you can immediately appreciate how he's saying. It's not something you have to listen to over and over again to unpack what he's saying. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you know the message he's, he's trying to convey right off the bat, but as you're listening to it, you're like, oh man, I love how he phrased that. And just through through, you know, tales of love, you know, kind of tales of, of, you know, country living and just honest human emotion. And, you know, like I said, it's always sad to come to someone's music because they passed away, but I look at it as a silver lining. You know, it's, 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 it may not be the happiest reason that I started listening to his music, but I'm really glad I'm finally checking it out. And I'm really, mm. I'm really glad that, uh, you know, I'm coming to it or I'm able to come with, approach his music with the mindset I have now. You know, I, I have really started to love country music since getting over that hump, you know, a few, few months ago or a year ago at this point. And I'm, I'm really glad that, um, I'm really glad that I have plenty of great albums of his to, to check out now. Yeah, oh, that's nice, man. I I did see that news, uh, you know, kind of sucks. Uh, I mean, not kind of, definitely sucks. Um, yeah, I he, he's always been like someone like, I, I he's almost like a, um, almost like a lesser known Leonard Cohen. Yeah. In, in my eyes that, that like, you know, he never really gets the attention he deserves, but he seems to have like, you know, just to be like a huge part of what makes country country. And that's what's crazy is that as I was looking into him, like the the number of really well-known and regarded artists and the number of the, the people he, that Consequence of Sound even was able to get to, you know, live stream from their house and, and, you know, record covers of his music. He obviously left a huge impact, but you're totally right. Not nearly the name recognition that other people of his ilk have but clearly he made a huge impact on songwriters of mm. you know of, of his time and, and going forward it's kind of like uh when oh god i don't remember his name from, from uh why am i thinking of no, silver jews uh david berman right yes that's yeah. another great example you don't yeah. you know a few decades later is that he also you know obviously after he passed away the number of people who were you know obviously clearly impacted by it but you didn't hear you know silver jews uh you know like American Water is kind of a deep cut classic in my opinion, but apparently, you know, his work left a huge imprint on a lot of people, people within his larger, you know, genre sphere. So Mm. it's interesting how that happens. It's interesting, you know, the larger question of what do musicians listen to, you know, what's important to them versus the people, you know, because I feel like it's, that's why I love the Amoeba series so much, you know, what's in my bag. Cause you, 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 you get a deeper sense of like, um, lightning bolt especially like their um what's in my bag series was was incredible because you expected like them to pick like all these like experimental rock and noise rock albums and they picked the most weird out there albums yeah. from all over the world and all over the decades and i was like you know what it wasn't what i expected but it kind of makes sense and that's just... that's one thing i always notice in, in what's in my bag is how like i i don't know you've seen this that like pretty much like every every artist who does one of those has some sort of world music yeah in, in their bag which is really cool yeah that's an uh, interesting pattern yeah we, we really should do a world music episode at some point yeah for sure yeah um all right so my album of the week uh i am going to announce it with some lyrics from uh the track just because i i, I feel like you you probably re- will recognize it okay. after i say it um 
I would like to learn how to kill the nicest man in the world, make him feel uneasy, make him feel strange. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I, I don't. Okay, I, I, I wasn't sure. Uh, so, Ken Mode, success. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, so, similar to you, I, I went on, like, I, I've been buying a few CDs every now and then online um and this came in last week and i was putting it on and i i love it i I think it's such a great album yeah it's just so well done uh and just it's noise rock that's just so well executed or i mean it's it's kind of like noise rock post hardcore kind of uh it's almost like fuck genres just listen to this shit because it's it's like a it's a short album too um and it does like i like it's probably the only album I've ever listened to that actually does spoken word vocals, like in a way that isn't completely annoying. Like it, it, it's actually really like intriguing how they're, they deliver these lyrics. Um, and just that, like, I, I just love that lyric. I would like to learn how to kill the nicest man in the world. <laughs> like, I just think that's the funniest fucking thing. Um, no, they, they are a super, they're, they have their own super unique voice, and they're just a really fun, cool band. The the only thing is, like, this is the only album that seems to be like kind of like an outlier in the rest of their discography, like because a lot of it just seems to be kind of like convergy type of stuff. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, whereas like the, the, this felt like they were really like playing themselves in a mm-hmm. way. Um, it was just so good, and, and not to say that those other albums are like I think entrenched. And um, what was the new one? Um, uh, my my favorite there, the the new one is Loved, and that's that one yeah. took a much darker turn. I, I yeah. love that album. The, the, those are both great, but there's something about success that that really just gets me every time. Uh, and the album cover too, like just the whole like presentation of the album is just really just like very singular. I guess is yeah, the best way to put it. They always have very like, especially the the new one, Loved, has such a creep like. It's so minimal, oh, but it's so creepy. That album cover, yeah, is fucking creepy. Uh, but I, for some reason, I, success gets to me more because, like, I can't, like, it looks like it should be, like, a painting, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's a photograph, but it's been, like, recolored and things like that. Oh, really? I gotta look at that then. Yeah. I always thought it, it was a painting, too. Yeah, and it just, like, it looks so, like, it's, like, if you want a single image to represent, like, mankind in the modern era, it's, like, it's, like, that, just, like, this man just, like, yeah you know, just depressed and like, you know, head in his hands, you know, not sure what to do. Um, yeah. So it, just a great album overall. I'm really glad to own it. Uh, yeah. So nice. All right. Well, that has been our episode this week. Uh, we will be back next week with something good for your ears and, uh, we love you and, uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.